In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, Jesus tells us a parable today about people who make excuses not to come to church. He tells a story and he gives an analogy of what it looks like when people get bored with God's word. They don't like it. And how they will come up with any lame excuse to get out, to get out of actually having to hear it. He teaches us how people will find a way to make themselves too busy for God. And that's what the gospel lesson teaches us for today. Our sinful nature will make up any excuse to get out of having to hear God's word in some way, shape, or form. And most people who make excuses to not come to church are straightforward about it. And they'll say something like, well, I want to go to Disney today, or I have family in town, or I have a game to play, or whatever it might be. It's not that they can't come to church or are incapable of it. It's just that they really don't want to. And for some reason, their family can't go to church with them or they can't miss one hour of their time at a theme park or leisure or whatever it is. But there's another excuse that's really quite popular. And it's a popular excuse because it sounds very pious. It sounds godly and holy. And typically, when people use this excuse, it ends the the conversation about church altogether. It's like the trump card. And so, what is this excuse? It's nothing other than this. I pray and read the Bible at home. I'm sure this excuse gets used a lot throughout the world. But I'm fairly certain that it gets used the most here in Florida. We're surrounded by leisure and luxury and comfort. We're surrounded by entertainment, by distractions left and right. We actually live in a state where people come for vacation. So for the Christians who live here, the ones who want to hold on to the final thread of their Christian identity, the ones who want to sound like they still believe in God, they don't outright reject God's word. They simply say that they don't need all of this church stuff. That they can just do it all at home on their own. So how should you respond to people who say they're Christians, but also say that they don't need to go to church? What should you say when people say, well, I can pray and read the Bible and connect with Jesus on my own, so I don't need to show up to a building on Sunday morning to do those things? How should you respond? Well, for those who should know better, The best response is simply to say, yeah, but you don't. Sure, you can pray and read the Bible on your own, but I bet you don't do those things very often. And the reason I bet you don't do those things very often is because if you get bored with God's word here in church, you're probably bored of it when you get home. If you find it hard to pay attention in church, I bet you can't even begin to pay attention at home where you have bills to pay, a bed to sleep in, a TV to watch, and a bunch of chores to do. If you're distracted and can't listen to God's word in church where the divine service is distraction-free without screens and entertainment, I bet you're too distracted to really listen to God's word when you're in the place you're most comfortable, at home. In fact, if you really read God's word at home as much as you let on, 
then you'd be happy to come to church where you finally get to rest from all of your reading and praying and all of your petitions and where you finally get someone else, the pastor himself, to read God's word to you. But the truth is that the reason you don't like going to church where God's word is read in this setting is because you don't really like God's word in any setting. Because you don't actually want to hear God's word. In other words, you're bored of God's word and you're making an excuse. And if you say that the only time you're really into God's word is when you're alone, you're probably not really into God's word that much. Uh, So all of that, by the way, was one long response on how to answer uh, to those who say that. You see, praying on your own and reading the Bible at home are great and wonderful things. Of course, we exhort this and we encourage this. But if you really read the Bible, you'll also read the parts of the Bible that say, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And in Acts, you'll read that the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And you'll also read the exhortation from Hebrews that says, Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if you stay at home reading the Bible, you'll eventually read that the Bible tells you to not just stay at home and read it. Rather, the Bible itself tells you to go to church. And why is that? Because when you gather for worship, you'll receive the complete thing. Here in church where God's word is, you have Christ forgiving your sins through the mouth of the pastor, declaring with the same voice that created the heavens and the earth that he made you a new creation. There, when you come to church and are gathered by that font... You have the waters of salvation that have made you an actual child of God. When you kneel beside your fellow saints at the altar, there you have Jesus Christ himself feeding you with his very flesh and blood, crushing your sins before your very eyes, stomping on the head of Satan himself, nourishing and strengthening you with his physical presence there and here in the worship service as you're emboldened and strengthened with your fellow saints. You have the very feast of heaven. You have everything You have the angels of heaven singing along with you. You have all the company of the saints gathered around the Lamb singing together in harmony with you. You have the full feast of forgiveness and salvation. So if you don't want that, I'm willing to bet that you haven't really read the Bible. And if you have, then I bet you really don't believe what that Bible says about baptism, about preaching, and the Lord's Supper. So if you don't really know this or believe it, then you're going to make an excuse to get out of it. If going to a church where Christ gives you all of these things bores you, then I bet that you find praying and reading the Bible at home just as boring. But here you are. You made it to church today. And good for you. Now the problem with this Sunday is that the people who need to hear the sermon the most aren't here to hear it. And this is kind of the nice thing about recording the sermon so that they can, you can send it to them and they can hear it. However, that doesn't mean that this sermon is useless. The sermon is for you who are in church right now because you too not only have faced this temptation in the past, I'm sure of it, I did quite a bit, And not only will you face this temptation in the future as the days come upon you, 
But I'm certain that you face this temptation even right now. You see, when we do show up for, to, to hear the word, when we finally do make it out of our bed and out of our house, and we do make it to the pew, we do make it to the altar, we have to force ourselves to pay attention. Otherwise, we just coast on autopilot. We just go through the liturgy and the motions, not thinking about what we're saying. We can't get ourselves to be consistent with attendance because we're just too busy with sleep or sports or entertainment or work or family obligations. We don't support the preaching of the gospel. We don't do everything we can to ensure that we continue to receive this pure word of God week after week. Why? Because we're much more interested in preserving those earthly treasures that we find more fascinating. And deep down inside, we know that we should be absolutely fascinated by the extraordinary love of Christ. But it's just not as interesting to us as the ordinary, everyday things of this life. And like good little sinners, we always want to convince ourselves that the problem is with Christ's church and not with us. This is when our old sinful flesh comes up with a bunch of reasons as to why it's the the fault of Christ's church and not the fault of our heart. So we often complain that the reason we feel uninspired in worship is that the sermons don't apply to us, that the service is too stuffy, that the hymns are too laborious. If only things were more approachable and less formal, if we focused more on personal growth instead of doctrinal purity, if we only didn't feel like we were trapped in the 1500s every time we came to church, maybe we'd be more inspired to pay attention and show up more consistently. If you've never thought these thoughts, maybe you've encountered people who have. A lot of you may, uh, very well may have children who have said these things throughout their lives or might have children who will say it to you. And the reality is that we kind of know what's beneath the surface of these complaints and these excuses. So for quite a few decades now, we have seen churches that have built themselves up on this idea that we're going to make church more relevant, more accessible, more modern. And these are churches that cast aside the insistence on the purity of doctrine. And they make the church more about teaching people how to live practical lives where they feel connected to God, where they feel like the church is still living in their own era, where they're going to hear the kind of music that they hear on the radio, that they're going to feel connected and engaged On the one hand, these churches have statistically done a good job of growing in the sense that they have done a good job of siphoning off members from other church bodies. In other words, those churches have done a good job of gathering a bunch of Lutherans and Catholics and Methodists who don't want to be Lutherans or Catholics or Methodists anymore. But what we've also learned after a few decades of this that after about three or four years, most of those people simply stop going to church altogether. They'll attend these big box churches for about three to four years, and then they'll just stop. These churches have not functioned as the churches of renewal and rebirth as they claim. They're simply functioning as a halfway house to unbelief. They're a transitional place where people go before they simply depart the faith. To put it more clearly, we've learned a very simple lesson from observing this. The problem they had wasn't with the way God's word was presented. The problem was with God's word itself. 
All of the reasons they had for leaving their former church to join this mega church or whatever it might be was simply a mask for the bigger problem that they didn't really like God's word to begin with. And we know this because after the novelty wears off, they're nowhere to be found. It takes them about three to four years to realize that the problem wasn't the hymns or the liturgy or the sermons. The problem was that they didn't, their, their, their faith in God's word was dying, and that's why they found it boring. So to put it in another way, or to, to, to explain it in, in another uh, uh, form, excuses are only a symptom, and unbelief is the disease. So make no mistake about it. Those who don't want to hear God's word don't want to hear it because they don't believe it. Those who are bored with God's word who would rather close their eyes and their ears who make themselves busy to not hear it are those whose faith is dying or already dead. Jesus has harsh words for those who reject his gracious invitation to come to his feast. At the end of the parable, remember what the words of Christ were. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And the banquet that Jesus sets up is the feast of forgiveness, life, and salvation. So those who make an excuse to miss it, who are tired of it, who are bored of it, who would rather literally do anything else in the world but have it, won't get it. If you reject his invitation to feast on his forgiveness, then you will never taste that forgiveness. If you excuse yourself from eternal life given to you today, you will be excused from eternal life on that last day. So admit it. Admit that you've excused yourself one too many times from God's word without a real excuse. Admit that you've made yourself busy to miss it. Admit that you've gotten bored in church before. Admit that you've felt apathetic to God's word. Admit it and then repent of it. And know that no matter how many times you've excused yourself from this banquet before, no matter how many ridiculous reasons and fake excuses you came up with, Christ has been here every single Sunday, even if you weren't. And he was here waiting for you not to condemn you, but to forgive you. While you, you were preparing excuses, he was preparing your forgiveness. While you were away, he was here ready and willing to forgive every ounce, uh, forgive you every sin with every ounce of blood in his veins, every inch of his flesh, every drop of righteousness he has. While you found better things than his word, he found you to be the best. He prepared this feast in the hopes that you would be his guest, that you would sit with him, that you would receive all the hope, all the joy, all the love, and all the life that he's come to serve you. And just as he was here when you were not, He's here even now. He's here not to condemn you for all the times you weren't, but to forgive you for each and every time you weren't. He has come to show you how great and wonderful his forgiveness is. He has come to show you that no matter how many excuses you came up with before, your dear Lord never made an excuse to not leave his throne in heaven to come get you. Never made an excuse to stop loving you, to stop caring for you, to stop forgiving you. No matter how many times you've excused yourself from his gracious invitation, Christ is here again, inviting you to live with him forever. So believe the words of Christ who invites you to the feast when he tells you the importance of that feast. You need a God who serves you 
who feeds you, who satisfies you. You need a God who will give you the bread of life that will never run out because you'll never stop needing it. You need a God who removes every ounce of filth from your soul, who makes you worthy to sit by his side forever. You need a God who invites you to partake of the eternal life that he's served up for you here today. And that is the God you have. So dear saints, receive this invitation with joy. There's a banquet, a feast of forgiveness prepared here for you this moment. So come and eat of it because everything is prepared. Partake of this salvation through faith. Whatever lame excuse you came up with before, whatever reason you had for not hearing God's word, Christ invites you to drop all of that, to bring it here today, to leave it at the foot of the cross. Whatever boredom you have with God's word, whatever inattentiveness or distraction or apathy you experience when it comes to doctrine, your Lord invites you to bring them here today and drown them in the font as you remember your baptism. Whatever keeps you from feasting on God's forgiveness through faith, leave it before the altar as Christ feeds you his very body and blood. This table is prepared for you. So come to it. This font was filled for you. So remember it. This word is preached to you. So believe it. Take comfort in the fact that those who receive this gracious invitation with joy today in repentance and faith will be invited to the eternal feast of the Lamb and the kingdom which has no end. So come, for all things are prepared. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we believe what you have said. Help us when doubts assail us. Remember that we are but dust and let our faith not fail us. Your supper in this veil of tears refreshes us and stills our fears and is our priceless treasure. Grant that we worthily receive your supper, Lord, our Savior, and truly grieving for our sins may prove by our behavior that we are thankful for your grace and day by day may run our race in holiness increasing. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.